Hi, everybody. Before we jump into today's episode of the Listen In Podcast, we just wanted to take a quick second um, to say that if you enjoy the Listen In Podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a subscription on iTunes, a follow on Stitcher, or on SoundCloud. And if you would consider giving us a written review on iTunes or a out of five star rating. Um, we're a small podcast just getting our start. We really enjoy doing it. Uh, we really hope that that you listeners enjoy what, what we're doing here with the podcast. And if you do, it really, really helps us out. If you give a follow, write a review. Also, a recommendation to a fellow music lover of a friend or a share on social media would also be acceptable and, and greatly, greatly appreciated. And with that, let's uh, let's get started with this episode. Listening podcast, episode twenty-one. We're legal. We can officially drink. I like I like that you've continued um, with this age motif since I think episode sixteen. Uh no, it's been since like episode twelve. I was talking about how. Is it really? Yeah, it's been like 12 or 13 where I was talking about how like your body's changing and like you're going through weird stuff at school and like you're starting to become more of like an independent kid, your parents are annoying you, that kind of thing. I would wager to say that there's nothing our listeners like hearing more um, than the transitional stages of, of a young person's body. That In comparison like- to the podcast. Right, I bet that's the most. I bet a lot of people just listen in, no pun intended, but like now sneaky pun intended. Pun intended. N- people listen in to hear like, oh, what's Sean gonna do with the age thing? Right. And then they kind of like after a minute or two, they're like, oh, they're talking about that today. No interest. Right. Turn it off. So the big news today um, is Sean is sick. You yeah. thought I was gonna say something else because we've had a lot of big news and we're talking about that in the episode today. But no, really, the big news is Sean is sick. Yeah. He's playing injured. So. It's kind of a real, real grit and balls performance for me today. It is, and so here's the thing. This is my question for you: is um, is this performance going to be your Jordan flu game, or are you as sick as I was during episode? What episode was that? Thirteen, something like that. Might have been the same one we were ma- we were comparing to, like an adolescent almost going it, through it could have puberty. been it was it was the best rock records of the 2010s yeah. which again go listen to that for it was for a good some, one yeah it was a good episode i don't remember much of it because i was i was phasing in and out of, of full lucidity <laughs> um no i don't think i'm that sick but i'm gonna hype it up like i am and right. really just ring this for all it's worth i think that's what you should do i mean that's what you have to do in life i'm gonna you be gotta, really dramatic about it yeah you gotta use this excuse as much as you can and if you slip up on a fact if you slip up on a name here and there i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a little more leeway than usual right no it, beatings after this episode <laughs> thank god the timbre of my voice is probably a little bit different too it's probably not as um enjoyable to listen to as it normally is i know I that's why fun. a lot of people do tune in is to hear our great voices so and that's the feedback i've heard me too um, so as I alluded to, there was some huge news, huge news, 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 news. What is that chant from? That's from Always Sunny. Oh, right. When they're of like, yeah. guys, I got news, yeah. news, 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 right. news. I love how, not to derail us even further, but I love how it's like in The Simpsons, Always Sunny and The Simpsons, it's so easy to rile people up to like <laughs> get into groupthink. Yeah. Like in The Simpsons, it's too, everything is always two seconds away from pitchforks and torches. <laughs> it's mob mentality it, at its all the finest. Time, all the time. Can, so, so what is the news, Sean? So 
Because it's actually quite somber, and I don't think it's... Yeah, it, it's I should be, like, chanting news. Uh, no, it's okay. So, I, I think we both were making light. So the the music world suffered another big loss in 2016 uh, with the death of Prince. Yeah. So what, do you, what, what are your thoughts on this, Jake? Well, it was shocking to say the least because, um, you know, 57 years old, which is, I mean, especially by today's standards, very young to go out. Um, and by all accounts... This was a guy who was in good physical shape, good mental shape. But I did read a story that indicated that before he died, Prince had worked for a, a um, 154 consecutive hours without sleep. And, and the article was like, this may have contributed to his death. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think it, so. It sounds like it probably did. So, I mean, I don't know. Prince was an eccentric guy. I mean, who knows exactly what the the causes are. I mean, I know he canceled some dates because he was sick. But. Yeah, it's from that story, it sounds like he worked himself to death, um, which is not something to joke about. But, yeah, he was on an airplane a few weeks ago, and, like, they had to land, like, emergency land for him to, like, get off or something. I hadn't heard that story. So, see, and this is the thing with Prince, is so much of his, like, persona is wrapped up in these stories that you don't even know if they're true or not. Yeah. And, like... To me, at least, that has been the more interesting thing than his musical legacy. Because I, personally, am not a huge Prince, like, the musician fan. Like, I never really got into his music. Well, and that's the thing, and we'll talk more about that, because I want to touch on the stories thing first. But, like, neither of us are in a place where we can do what we did for Bowie on this podcast. Right. Because, I mean, if any listeners were hanging around back when we were doing that episode back in January, we did an entire in, Mor- in memoriam episode for David Bowie. It's not that we don't think Prince deserves that. It's just that we, neither Sean nor I, have have done the, the requisite deep dive into Prince's uh, material that we probably should have. But in terms of the stories, I'm going to just rip this right off from another podcast I listened to because I thought it was so funny. Chuck uh, Klosterman, Klosterman, however the hell it's pronounced, he was talking on the Bill Simmons podcast, and he was saying that when he Can you do it in your Klosterman voice? I don't think I can. I can try. Okay. (laughs) He was like, oh, I I don't know if I can do it. I'm going to try. He was like... So when I was working at at Spin, one of my my friends, he he got a... He was granted an email uh, interview with, with Prince... And, and Prince would not do in-person interviews. Uh, and in reply to some of his questions, he would send just pictures or images. For example, to one question, he sent back a picture of just a human eye. And when Closterman said that, I laughed out loud because it's just like everything I've ever heard about Prince. I, I laughed out loud, too. I thought that was the funniest thing I ever. So too. I like, And so I, I don't know where that was going, but yeah, it's the stories. Basically, it's it, what Prince has left behind is that it seems like everyone he's encountered, everyone who like has met him, left with a story about him. Yeah, and I think Klosterman also mentioned this too. He's like, even if your story or your interaction with him wasn't terribly interesting, like, it did become interesting just because it was Prince, and, like, he did, you got, you didn't get a look into who he was. So who he was became all just these little interactions and stories. It almost sounds like he lived a life of intention in that way. It almost seems like Prince's... I mean, again, I don't know a ton about Prince. I can't pretend to. But from what I've gathered over the last week or so of media coverage since his death is that he almost made it his duty in in the way some pop and rock stars do to, like, make his interactions with people immediately memorable or make his persona 
something that people would talk about when he was gone or even while he was still alive. It seems like Prince was was always thinking about how he was being perceived. Um, and I don't really know exactly, like, all that went into that. I don't know, like, why he was that way. I have no real idea. But I know that he was he was sort of a recluse in some ways. <clears throat> yeah. Um, th- by the way, that, that cough, I just suppressed, like, kind of a full cough. So that's just me battling. No yeah, big deal. This is un- unbelievable. Just battling. If only people could be a fly on the wall in the studio right now. I mean, they would they would know the just the gutsy performance you're putting in. It's true, but yeah, with Prince, it seems it seems like calculated, um, like when he changed his name to just a symbol to the love symbol. Is that what that is? I think the it's called the. Symbol? I think it's called the love. Did symbol. he bestow that name upon it? Maybe I'm making that up, but I'm pretty <clears throat> sure that's what it was called. Yeah, but it just seems kind of uh, yeah, an interesting persona. So, what about the music, Jake? Uh, my my relationship with it is actually really really limited. You could play. I could like hear very very popular Prince songs on the radio and have no idea it's Prince. Actually, right. I'm a little like embarrassed about that, but. We're in the trust tree. I'm going to share that with you and the listeners. That's good. I mean, I think it's only fair. We're not going to sit here and, and bullshit the listeners about our Prince experience. I have almost none either. The songs I knew up until a couple days ago were limited to When Doves Cry, Purple Rain, and, like, I knew 1999 because I've heard it referenced so much. We're mm-hmm. going to party like it's 1999. But over the past few days, I did take a, take the time to listen a few times to Purple Rain, um, and I did enjoy it. I think there's some really, really cool stuff on there. Um, and in regards to his music, the interesting thing about, about Prince is that while in the 80s, it seems people who are from that era, who lived through that era, if you mention Prince, everyone's like, oh, of course. Like, if Prince, uh, yeah, one of the top ones. Like, everybody, like, seems, it's almost like it's an unspoken thing that Prince was one of the major, major icons of that era. Somehow that didn't really seep into the collective consciousness in my opinion, for for our people our age, we're twenty three. Yeah, I felt like I didn't grow up hearing Prince. No, I didn't either. And maybe it's because like it it might have to do with geography or demographics. Like, oh, it almost undoubtedly does. It just never overlapped for us. Like we were listening to bands like Led Zeppelin, um, while Prince and his kind of funk rock thing just eluded us. But I agree, it's because it, there seemed to be this. Like, oh, this death transcends generations and even people in their teens are upset about Prince. I've asked and talked to a lot of people over the weekend about, like, what their relationship with Prince was. Every single one was like, yeah, I never never really listened. And the thing is, it's not really a comment on the quality of this music to say that. It's just the truth. I mean, I never really got into it. And I think, actually, I'm realizing one reason might be, if you think of, like, a Led Zeppelin, if you think of the Beatles or The Who or, or, or huge bands like that, there are some exceptions. I guess U2 is not really in this camp. But those bands sort of stopped doing it. And, like, we had, at our age, getting into music in the 2000s as we did, could look back on their career as this almost, like, anthology. Uh-huh. And it seems those bands and those artists were written about in the past tense. Completely, like, there were these, there's their, their sort of uh, legacy was in amber, so to speak. Whereas Prince was constantly doing work prince was like kind of I, th- I guess known for his work ethic and constantly churning out music constantly trying to keep performing and keep making music and so maybe there was never that opportunity to as a collective culture like look back on prince until sadly now yeah that's a great point and it's probably a good reason why we we just never got into them so here's a question for you um which death to you felt bigger in the media between Bowie's passing in January and now Prince's? Because I, I 
heard and saw a lot of sound bites and tweets and social media posts about how like Prince transcended even the Bowie passing. So this is interesting for me. I don't know if th- this might speak to that theory that on social media you surround yourself with a circle of like-minded people. Um, and social media is, is by and large where I get my news. It's where I do my interaction. So there's two reasons why I'm going to say Bowie felt bigger to me. One is that reason alone. I think that more people I follow and engage with on social media are into Bowie than they are with Prince. And that can include high school friends, college friends, people I follow on Twitter through their musical tastes and stuff like that. That's not to say Prince wasn't heavily covered. It definitely, it seemed to, you know, um, to be pretty prevalent. The other reason is that I am more into Bowie as an artist. I, I just was more into him. And when he died, it was more of a gut punch. I was really into his catalog. I've listened to a bunch of albums. So I actually sought out stories about Bowie more actively. And so it, I think what has happened is that there's this <laughs> illusion now. Uh, we're getting Sean is, is just complete, succumbing to illness. Ju- uh, yeah, continue. S- sorry. Succumbing to illness. No, and I, just, I think so that the, the result ends up being that maybe by illusion only, it feels like Bowie was a more prevalent story. I think that that's likely not true. What about you? Yeah, I... Would I like that point about how you surround yourself on social media with like-minded people because I think that's absolutely true. And to me, Bowie felt bigger for the, all the same reasons as you. Like when I woke up and I saw that news, I was like shocked and like a little upset. When I saw that Prince died, should I tell this about like what my initial reaction was? Sure. We both had this. So trust tree. My first reaction, it was always like, oh, that sucks. He died. My first reaction was like, oh. I, we're going to have to talk about this on the podcast, and I have nothing really of value to say. Well, yeah, and it's not even, I don't... Which is a that, completely selfish reaction to that, but that's what it was. Well, but here's the thing, though, and I think that, that it's not especially selfish, because I think that there is something to be said about, in the age of social media, maybe it happens even before social media was a thing, there's a little too much personalization of these types of deaths. I think that, like, what are we going to do? Are we, are we supposed to, and this actually gets into the next topic we want to talk about, which is how should you feel when a death like this happens? And my honest reaction is like, I don't know if there's an answer, if you really should feel away. And I think that, I, I thought a similar thing. I thought, you know, I am now concerned about trying to do Prince and his legacy some justice on the podcast when I have really limited knowledge and, and throughout my life I never really explored him. And I think that you can only react to a death like that in your own terms and in in relative to how you actually interact with this person who died. Right. Anything else is disingenuous. Right. And I'm going to be even more candid. When we talk about this, how should we feel? Yeah, I think it's the same thing where you feel however you want to feel. Like, you feel whatever. Not even how you want to feel. You might feel how you don't want to feel, but you feel that way. Right. That's true. Like, for me, I don't really care. Right. Like, it doesn't affect me. This wasn't someone who had an impact on my life. This might as well be a stranger for all I know or care. For Bowie, that was someone who had an impact on my life. I felt like I at least knew him through his art and was a different type of feeling for me. And so I, I don't know that there's a should here. I, I guess the collective social media should would be we should feel really bad and want to honor him in his career, which, yeah, I guess, but, like, we aren't able to do that really because we were never into them it feels disingenuous i feel like the whole idea of like how you should feel and how people feel they should react is it's just like 
the idea that this cultural icon, this person who meant a lot to, and touched a lot of people's lives is gone. And I think that when you say, you know, you don't care, it doesn't affect you. I mean, that that's, that's true. And I think, um, you know, like when Michael Jackson died, for example, I mean, that was 2009. I was uh, maybe not even 17 yet. And I had a similar feeling where I'd, I didn't feel particularly touched by his music or anything he'd done at that time. And so it was a similar feeling where I almost had this guilt about it where I was like, I don't, you know, I'm not overly emotional about this. It seems everyone is upset. Um, but I couldn't quite match that, the intensity of emotion that it seemed people were having. Yeah. And to me, it's always seemed slightly, as we were saying, disingenuous to pretend to have this like sort of personal connection um, if you don't. Uh, even with Bowie, though, I mean, like, and, and let's be fair, because on our Bowie podcast, we we really didn't even talk about this issue so much about, right. like, not caring. Right. Um, and I do feel like I did care about that. So it's a tricky sort of yeah. choppy waters there to traverse. It, it's, it's hard it's, to know. With something like music, which is so subjective, you're obviously going to have these certain camps of people that care more than others, and, like, there's nothing you can really do about it. Here's a question for you. What artist to die next which is this is super morbid but i mean this i is think it's okay something that we talk about um who's the next artist or who who do you think is like one of the biggest artists left where like when they die it's gonna have a huge impact for me i think it's like paul mccartney yeah so do you mean on the collective culture or on me collective culture uh it so the big ones i can think of it's it's paul mccartney um bono um Bruce Springsteen, yep. and, like, maybe Bob Dylan. Yeah, oh, Bob Dylan's going to be a huge one, Bob, actually. Bob Dylan will be a big one because he was one of these guys who, like Prince, was the guy. Yeah. Um, Paul McCartney is an interesting situation where the Beatles, it's it sort of felt like with each one, as, as each, so there's only two remaining Beatles, Paul and Ringo, it seems like as each one dies, it's like, well, we still got a couple more. We still got three more or whatever, you know, and... and It'll so it'll be interesting to see how everyone reacts to that. I think for me, the biggest ones will be Bob Dylan and Paul McCartney. Yeah. But the 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 thing is, is it um and it happened with Bowie too, is that I was even though I can be emotionally impacted by deaths like this, it's really hard for me to be moved. I mean, it's certainly to tears or to anything close to something resembling how I'd feel about a family member or something. It does seem that some people react pretty viscerally yeah. to these deaths, and which so, seems weird to me. And it seems, I mean, look. A lot of people are more emotional than I am and probably are more in tune with that. So who am I to judge? It feels kind of forced if you're, like, crying over this person you never met. Right. I mean, then you can sometimes, right? So that's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I, that goes into the how should we feel. Like, maybe you're putting this on a little bit to show how big of a fan you are. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's the super cynical view of that, though. That's the cynical view, the, the more sort of... Embracing view is is yeah everyone experiences death and and mourns death in different ways and care, you know we'll think about it in different ways. So I think a good way to wrap this up is let's both just share like our favorite Prince story or Prince way that he's impacted our life. So for me, I don't really like his music wasn't the thing. Like for me, my biggest Prince interaction was from the Chappelle Show from Charlie Murphy's Real Hollywood Stories skit about how Charlie Murphy was hanging out with Prince and they were playing basketball together. And, like, 
all like Prince and all of his crew were really good at basketball. And Charlie Murphy's just like, these cats could really ball. Like, <laughs> like they're wearing like the Prince Prince like outfit, and yeah. it's it, it's the game blouses line. Like that Sean has probably referenced on the podcast. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Game it's, blouses. It's one of your most referenced quotes. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I throw that around whenever. So that's like my interaction with Prince is from this skit. Well, what's interesting about that skit is that it actually speaks to the idea that if you met Prince, if you interacted with Prince, you will have a story right. to tell about Prince. Because isn't that basically somewhat in a true story? Oh, I be- I think that is absolutely true. Well, because I know that I know that Prince did like enjoy playing basketball yeah. and like yeah. and actually enjoyed basketball as a sport and watching it and all that. I think he he's from Minnesota, so I think he was a T Wolves fan. Yeah. Um, for me. Uh, it, it's a video that I saw a couple years ago um, of the 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It was George Harrison, speaking of Beatles, was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, um, a couple other like sort of legacy rock icons were up on stage. And they played one of George's best-known songs from his Beatle days, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Um, during that performance... It's weird looking at it now because Prince is on the stage the whole time, but he's kind of in shroud. He's kind of like in darkness. He's sort of on the side of the stage, completely like not spotlighted. And then at the end of the song, um, they do like this sort of like two minute jam, just playing the chords and singing "Look at You All" while my guitar gently weeps. And when uh, that's going on, Prince dives into a solo. And he comes out of he comes sort of off the wing and into the center stage, and the spotlight goes on him. And he absolutely crushes this solo. It's crazy. And that's the thing. that Prince was appreciated as a pop star, I think, mostly, and as an icon. But the thing that um, I think people who really know his music will talk about is the fact that this dude was one of the best guitar players on earth. Like, even given all the rock stars who actually, whose imagery involves guitar specifically, Prince was like better than most mm. guitar players at playing guitar. He could really, really play. And on this solo for While My Guitar Gently Weeps, he, it, like, it's so packed with emotion. You could just tell he was one of these guys who could play so effortlessly, and effortlessly is kind of maybe the wrong way to put it, but he could just do it. Like it, it felt like it seemed like it was second nature almost, right. and he played this amazing solo, and I thought that was really cool. And that's coming from a Beatle fan whose life was just intersected by right. by Prince. But so um, here, yeah. one final thought before we move on to Beyonce. Um, so I saw on Twitter that the Revolution, Prince's band, they're going on tour again. Does doesn't that seem weird? And that's like yeah. that's like the Heartbreakers going on tour without Tom Petty, or like that's the E Street Band going on tour without Bruce Springsteen. Like, kind of like Queen going on tour without Freddie Mercury, except worse because I couldn't name a member of the Revolution, and I, I know, couldn't either. And I know that Brian May at least is in Queen. That's really interesting. I hope that's not a cash grab. That seems it a little feels bit, like it. That but also, that's the super cynical take on that. Um, maybe it's to celebrate his life, but it seems like it could be a little bit cash grabby. Yeah, um, it does. I don't know, man. I mean, I think especially with Prince, who's going to see someone else in that band? Because if there's one guy in rock or in pop or whatever who is like the dude you were going to see, the virtuoso, the performer, the singer, everything, shredding guitar player, it was Prince. Like, this guy right. was like an absolute icon. Right. I don't know why you'd go see The Revolution. That's actually kind of funny to me. <laughs> <clears throat> Ooh, flu Excuse game, me. flu game kicking up. Whooping cough. How are you feeling? Uh, How are you feeling one quarter uh, of the way through? Or I'm, third? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Make I'm it, actually. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. Talk about something a little happier. Uh, ah. be, 
I mean, it doesn't involve death. But it doesn't involve death. It's not necessarily happy. No, the it fact involves that some marital is, strife. It sure does. So we are talking Beyonce, Queen Bay, yep. her new album, Lemonade. So this was surprise released on Saturday night through um, what she called a visual, and what many are calling is a visual album on HBO. So this is a really interesting move that Beyonce has done twice now. She did it with her 2013 album as well. Just a surprise release with a visual, like, kind of music video for the entire thing accompanying it. It is really interesting. And, and while we jump in, I want to give you the chance because I have listened to the album a few times, but I have not had the chance to v- watch this this accompanying hour-long movie. Uh, and you, it seems, have had that chance. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts on the on the, the visual aspect of it? Because I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. So it's cool. However, about halfway through, I got bored. I was like, okay, I get the point. Like, this is all kind of the same stuff. Uh, it's basically like if you've just seen almost any Beyonce music video, it's like that over and over and over again. There were some really cool visual elements in it. Like, towards the beginning, there was this part where she actually intersperses all the, these little like poems or just like thoughts that aren't on the album about like her marital situation and stuff. It actually gives more context for the overall themes and ideas of the album. Are they in the same vein as on the album when she's like, like, what's going on with you, my love? Yes, like it's like it's exactly like that, except way more like fleshed out sure? and like gives even more context. Okay. So there was like a really cool visual part where like she was like underwater in her bedroom. Um, like basically what happened is like she like jumped off this roof and then like the street turned into like water and then she was like talking underwater. There was some cool stuff in there. Interesting. Um, so yeah, it was it was cool in that regard. But like I said, I got a little bit bored. The best one, the best uh, like like vignette or like little music video was for. Um, the third song on the album, the or the second one, the, the Ezra the Ezra Koenig one, um, the, the one that samples Hold Up. Hold Up, yeah, it was that one was really cool because she um, she was just like walking around like this street with a baseball bat and like yeah. smashing cars and stuff like well, that was really cool. And there have been certain um, visual elements of it that have been kind of unescapable on social yep. media. Like I've seen. The baseball bat stuff. Yep. I'm trying to remember what else. I mean, the cover of the album, I assume, is from it as well. It is, yeah. Cor- there's a part. It's actually on uh, Don't Hurt Yourself. That's actually one of the cool ones, too. She's like in like a parking garage or something. Right. And it it is from the, the album cover. Like She's in that that costume or whatever with like the, the dreadlock hair or braided hair. Um, so, yeah, like there were some cool parts. You know, I got like halfway through. And I was just like, I get it. Yeah, and and that's what I assumed would happen for me because, um, and I don't know if this is sacrilegious in any way to admit, but I've never been the world's biggest Beyonce fan. Honestly, it's it's for two reasons. One, it's that I haven't really given her that much of a shot, so that's that's just to be fair. <laughs> that's on me. That's yeah. yeah I'm gonna I'll put my hand. I'm up. gonna own up to, to yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, and and secondly, I just have never been like really that interested or whatever in the stuff I have heard. Um, obviously, she has some amazing yeah. hit ooh, singles ooh. and stuff like I, that. I'll. I'll add to that where I'm the same way I have never been interested I've actually thought she's been a little overrated for all of the play she gets on <laughs> social media and from critics and from fans people like lose their shit over Beyonce yes. they lo- like she's she's like I don't even know like it's the she's everything she like Queen Bay it's That's, all this shit like she's I, total, I never got it she's a touchstone of like of uh, sort of 
our society, it seems, culturally. Um, which, yeah, I agree. I never was totally in line with that that um, thinking. But I will have to say, this album, being the one of the first ones I've ever really given a full listen and a few full listens, it's pretty good. It's really it's, good. It's pretty good, man. I, I mean, like, really like this album, actually. I do, too. Um, I really do, too. And it's a part of that. A part of it for me, actually, I think might be because it actually... It's a bit of a concept album. It's her talking about her her marital woes with Jay-Z, him cheating on her, what her reactions to it are, and she kind of takes him to task on she, it. She does, and and so there's an, that brings up another thing I wanted to ask you about, which is that I thought I saw a screen grab of her with Jay-Z in the movie, in the in the, like hour-long... Is that in there? Oh, she, yeah, so on the last song uh, on All Night, it's that song is basically her like being like, you know what? Like, we went through this shit, but, like, we're going to work through it. And right. it's basically, like, old home movies of them. It's, like, them at their wedding. Like, okay. them with, like, Ivy and, and stuff like that. So what I've been trying to figure out constantly as I listen to this record is, um, and not that it needs it, but I'm just curious as to whether or not this album has, like, Jay-Z's blessing, so to speak. Whether he, it, whether he knew about it the whole time. Because here's the thing. There... Beyonce and, and Jay-Z are like moguls. It seems like everything they do is very calculated. It seems like everything they do, um, you know, is is thought through in advance. It's very, like, you know, made to, to sell and stuff like that. Um, even a surprise album like this has the vibe of, like, they know what it's going to do. It's going to break the internet for, like, two and a half weeks, and everyone's going to buy it, everyone's going to watch it, everyone's going to listen. Um, so this is not something she was making like without him knowing. There's no oh, chance. Oh no, there's especially not a given chance. all the collaborations and all the guest spots. Yeah, there's no chance. And this, you actually bring up a good point about Beyonce. So her her whole thing has been like, uh, I'm gonna just like put a smile on my face and not give interviews, and she hasn't really. So people, she controls the storyline yeah. in the media about herself better than almost anyone. Well, it doesn't surprise so, me. They're so savvy, it seems, with that stuff. Right. So she is putting something out there that she wants people to consume, and she is framing and directing the narrative about this in the way, she, in the exact way that she wants to. So, yeah, I'm sure this has been in the works for, like, a while, and people... People were, were doing the crying Jordan memes about Jay-Z and everything, saying he got, like, killed by this. Like, I'm sure he's fine. Well, like, they're going to be raking in the money, not to mention the fact that this was a title exclusive. Jay-Z's a co-owner in title, like, just lining his pockets even more. Sure, and it does seem like uh, he'll be fine and they will probably be fine. That does actually seem like the conclusion that this album comes to. But um, he really does kind of get skewered here and there on this album. Like, yeah, she doesn't pull punches, and that's why... Like, I was wondering, I found myself questioning whether or not he sort of is, if things are really all good. And, and here's the other thing that's interesting is that, um, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, on, well, I, I can see, what, what I could see happening is that she was like, all right, you cheated on me. You know what we're going to do is we're going to make a fucking album about this and you're just going to take it. You're going to take it when I go, like, I'm going to turn around and, like, hop on another dick. And he's just like, okay, like, fuck. Like, I have to kind of go through with this now. This is what I was going to say, is that if Jay-Z came out and was like, and I, again, I, I haven't followed all the media coverage of this, but I haven't seen anything where Jay-Z's commented on this yet. No, I haven't either. And so if Jay-Z were to come out and say, you know, me and Beyonce are cool, every, our, you know, our marriage is working out, things are good, like, don't worry about us, I 
think that might impact sales the wrong way. It could. That might make people a little less interested in listening because all of the sort of um, marital strife that's going on throughout this record and throughout the songs, um, you know, and that which sort of paint him as this kind of a villain and her as this uh, hero. Um, that might that effect might be lessened a little bit if he came out and he was like, "Yeah, we figured it out. Everything's fine." Yeah. Or if she said that, it does seem like there probably is a calculated effort here to to at least withhold that for a certain amount of time. And here's the thing, like. They don't have to say anything. These are songs. It's not up to them to like inform us what's going on. No, it's not. Um, one of my favorite parts about new Beyonce releases or anything having to do with Beyonce is the internet reaction to it. Um, and one of my favorite ones is this meme that has come out, Becky with the good hair, uh, <laughs> who she calls out. So I guess, I didn't know this actually, Becky, I guess, is just a a catch-all term for, like, a white woman. Oh, okay. Um, with, like, the good hair, because it's, like, sure. whatever. Uh, so people were able to, like, identify who specifically this per who Becky with the good hair is, yeah. and it's Rachel Roy. Yeah, I saw this. Yeah. And so Beyonce's, like, fan base, I think it's called, like, the Beehive or something. <laughs> so they mistook Rachel Roy for Rachel Ray, and we're all over like her Instagram and stuff, just being like, "You homewrecker, like you, you, you ho, like how could you do that to Beyonce?" And like they just were blowing up all of her Instagrams with like emojis of bees yeah. and emojis of lemons and stuff. And like that's the kind of shit that a Beyonce album released will launch. It's almost it is really really funny. It's almost like what happened to um, to Esperanza Spalding when she beat out Bieber for best new artist. It's like I think Beyonce even more than Bieber actually has a rabid fan base. I saw on Twitter one of my favorite things I saw um, was someone's tweet. Uh, it was I, I'm not sure like where they were from. They weren't famous or anything. It was just a fan who had a funny tweet and she said like me like never I've never liked country uh before I, like I don't I don't really like fuck with that I don't listen to country Beyonce releases uh, a song with twangy guitar singing about her daddy and then it says me and it's just a picture of this little white girl like in a cowgirl <laughs> outfit which I thought was so funny <laughs> like because it's that's actually the sway she has if Beyonce decided to release <clears throat> like a polka record people will be listening to that they would people and would bump that uh, one of my other favorite things is all of the reactions of like, oh, if like if you were in a fight with your girlfriend, like this is bad timing for you after this Beyonce album, like she's gonna be quoting this at you forever, and like it's funny because Beyonce is actually really really cool in the way that I think she empowers her female audience, and like that has been one of the things that she's become known for is yep. being like this awesome like feminist figure actually yeah um really strong feminine figure and that she's kind of like made that mainstream and like cool to be like a strong female which is one of my favorite things about her and this album i think doubles down on that and i think that's something that i used to not really fully understand because i remember in high school when single single ladies came out i was kind of vocal at least in circles of my friends about like saying i didn't like that song i thought it was kind of stupid um, but honestly, like when you really listen to what's going on in that, that album, like that's a female empowerment song. It's important. Like that kind of stuff is really valid. And I think that makes sense why people love that song so much and why women really associate with that song a lot and, and with Beyonce in general. And think about this album, like she's singing about something that has happened to millions and millions of women. They've been cheated on and they're like, Oh, if it happens to Beyonce, like that, like it's such a relatable topic that Beyonce can speak to in like 
give these women a voice for this shitty thing that happens to a lot of them. So, like, it's, I think that's really cool. That's actually one of my favorite parts about Lemonade and kind of what Beyonce does in general. Right, and your theory about that sort of back, back, um, back alley deal with Jay-Z of, like, listen, I caught your ass, yep. and now what's going to happen is this is going to come out, there's going to be a billion eggs on your face, yep. you're going to just be embarrassed in the public eye, um, I think that there's some validity to that, and the thing is, is um, it like maybe that's fair, I, and 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 I think that while there's give and take with any relationship, and there's two sides to every coin, I'm sure Jay Z has, if he really wanted to, could release an album or just like a, a press statement about his side of the story, because I'm sure there is a side of the story for everybody, even if it's just cheating or whatever. Yeah. But um, what was I gonna say? But uh, well, I, I have a know, point you... about Jay Z. So it's funny. Jay-Z has become more of just Beyonce's husband than, like, rap mogul. Yeah, for like, sure. Like, what's the last, like, great artistic statement he's made? I, the fucking Black Album? Yeah. Like, American Gangster? That soundtrack? Like, what's the last thing a, he's done? A lot of people loved that album he put out, like, in 2009 with, um... Blueprint, with, Blueprint 3 or whatever? A lot of people, like, well, the hits on that, like... Yeah, there was a lot of hits. It was actually kind of critically panned. Well, I, I'm just talking about, like, fans. Sure. I yeah, know, but I'm uh, saying, yeah. like, Beyonce is just on, like, an all-time winning streak with albums coming out. They're both critically praised, yeah. and fans love them. Yeah. And she has become by far, in my opinion, the stronger artistic voice and better artist compared to Jay-Z, who I think is resting on his laurels a little bit, resting on his his reputation as like this awesome like rapper. What have you done for me lately, Jay-Z? Well, he is for sure, and it's interesting to think about what this might do to his image um, and what it already probably has done. And that's why it's so interesting to me to think about the whatever kind of agreement there might have been involved between the two of them. Um, it almost makes me think of like political marriages and stuff. Oh, like, it seems like this is like a business transaction yeah, between the two of them. Because there are parts in this album, this is what I was going to say before, before I spaced it, which has happened twice to me today. Hasn't happened to me ever before in an episode. Be better, Jake. Be better. Two, well, right. I mean, I'm, I'm gritting balls getting through this sickness. You're playing sick. And Hot I, takes and, galore. And here I am just like forgetting what I'm trying to say. Um, and it, uh, it's happening again now that you <laughs> oh, no. derailed me. Jay-Z, business, political marriage. Yeah, right. And so... Um, you still don't remember. <laughs> what is? What was I trying to say? No, this is great. I'm gonna fight through it. Okay. I'm gonna fight okay. through it. He, come on, it's gonna come to me. We gotta get all this. We gotta get every moment. Of we do. We gotta. We gotta ring it out. Jay Z, business, marriage. Come on. Back alley deal. Yep. Jay Z can probably. You see, filibuster. I don't Happened have. Again. I don't have any confidence in Jay Z to be able to put out a record that even like speaks to this situation, or even a song that speaks to this in any sort of, like, tasteful or successful way. I don't have confidence in him to do that. No, this is what it was. This is what it was. It looks especially bad for Jay-Z because there are parts on this album that are legitimately very heartbreaking. There's some really, really sad moments, and, it, and the way Beyoncé paints herself, obviously because it's her side of the story, but she's like, there are parts where she's like, I gave you all this love, like, I, I tried to keep it sexy, I tried to keep it this and that, I guess that wasn't good enough. And, like... And I, it looks really bad on Jay-Z for both men and women who are listening because it's like, dude, like, she's definitely, like, the best anyone could ever do. Yeah. Beyonce's pretty incredible. And so it makes me, I mean, there's got to be two sides to it, right? Does, does this surprise you at all that Jay-Z would cheat no. on Beyonce? doesn't surprise me for one goddamn second. No, and it's really just because he's so famous and so rich. And, and look, I mean, no matter who you're married to, if you're someone with a lot of ambition 
who seeks power. You know, it seems like both of them are, um, you know, I think you're always going to, it sounds bad, but you're always going to want what's next, so to speak. Right. It's, I think it's hard for a person like Beyonce or Jay-Z to just like sort of settle down. It seemed, obviously it seems Beyonce was more than willing to do that based on the content of this album. But, uh, you know, Jay-Z does, uh, sadly doesn't surprise me that he like couldn't just be content. I mean, because if you think about his his upbringing or his, his background, I mean, he's just constantly been like striving for that next thing. I could sell kilos of coke. I could sell CDs. Right. He's then he so he goes from drug dealing to being a rap superstar to selling tons of records to becoming like a business mogul yep. to being involved with all these different uh, you know with the Nets and with now Title. Title um, the 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 sports agency. He strikes me a little bit as like and and who knows what contributes to this, but as maybe a gr- grass is always greener type of guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what what does it take for someone to get to being married to Beyonce and not being like you know just content with that? Jake, I think we have a great opportunity to become marriage counselors for Jay and Bay. I think this is great insight. I think they'd appreciate it. I think we could dive into their psyche a little bit. Um, I could maybe needle Jay-Z on the fact that he hasn't done anything relevant since like his verse on Monster. I think that's how you jump in when we sit down with I think them. So too. I we, watched The Throne was good. When we sit down with them, that's what you have to start with. You say, Jay, what have you done that's relevant? And he'd be like, uh, uh, <laughs> Sean. I'm gonna let you know. Related to that, have you seen the Portlandia sketch where Fred Armisen, um, in the sketch, is called that? He has this fantasy because he's going to a Jay Z concert, and this yeah, is I've a seen, wildly tangential, but I've I don't care because it's really funny. Yeah. Where he's like, he has this fantasy that he'll be called out by Jay Z to say his favorite moment in hip hop history. Yes. Jay Farrow from SNL does the. the he Jay-Z. does a really good Jay Z. It's voice. perfect. He's like, oh. It's your boy. <laughs> now I'm gonna call on someone from the audience to say their favorite moment in hip hop history, and it's like, dude, a perfect impression. It makes me laugh so hard every time. <laughs> um, what were we talking about before? Uh, we, well, I, I think this would be a, a, a good time to to get into some of the collaboration stories. So yeah, this was another. That's one the of other my, interesting facet of this. This was another one of my favorite things that came out of this. On top of the memes and the Becky with the good hairs of the world. So it seems like all of the collaborators who were mentioned on the credits of this album, which are very long. Yeah. This is like the perfect example of like it takes a village to make a Beyonce album. It for takes sure. a village to raise a child. It takes a village to make a Bay album. So the credits for this are stupidly long. Uh, name checks include Led Zeppelin, Animal Collective, Ezra Koenig, Father John Misty, Jack White, The Weeknd, Diplo, um, who's kind of a fuckboy. Is he really? I don't know. Oh, yeah, about dude. Him. Okay, so Diplo, he went on Twitter one day. He's like, you know, doing girls is cool and all, but, you know, I'm just at a place where I just want to, like, work hard. And it, he's a tool. Interesting. So he's he meant, tool. like, having sex with, with it, girls. Except he called it doing girls. Dude. And he just said that, like, on Twitter, just for no reason. Doing girls. He, he's a he's a complete no tool. no self respecting adult should say doing. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I he's did like her. took me thirty four years to realize that that like working hard is better than doing girls. Like, okay, dude, that's such a <laughs> like, weird <laughs> weird take. But yeah, to get back to it, there are a lot of interesting collaborations on here, both in like 
collaborations that are readily apparent when you listen to the album, like the Weeknd's appearance on yeah. here, and ones that like probably you wouldn't immediately think of, like the Father John Misty one. Or, or Animal Collective being um, sampled, which you can't even really pick up on. Right, or Ezra Koenig, uh, his sort of writing So credit. let's talk about that one. So that yeah, was one ahead. of the yeah. cool stories that initially came out, was, was Ezra Koenig, obviously, of Vampire Weekend. So he had a tweet way back in, like I think this was like 2011 or 2012. Yep. It said, like, hold up. They don't love you like I love you. And he was just like, oh, I thought it'd be cool to like throw the hold up in front of the yeah, yeah, yeah's maps line. Right. And, and I think, didn't he like actually kind of start writing or recording he did. a little so something he with said, that? He said, he's like, so I was in the studio. Um, we actually like laid down a demo with like kind of that line. He's like, I thought it would just end up being a vampire weekend song. Turns out like that demo got in the hands of like Beyonce's camp. They're like, we want to use this. Uh, so that ended up being like the hook on on that song, which is really really cool. Well, Father John Misty had a really interesting story so, too. And his he, was way funnier actually. So on Twitter, he came out and he said he's like, I woke up this morning in the back seat of a car with a metallic taste in my mouth and a, a like a bandage on my head and a Beyonce writing credit. Yeah, just like this funny thing that he was like bludgeoned over the head and yeah. like didn't know what or happened. I thought maybe that was a sneaky joke about the Illuminati. Like he was he was that abducted. Too. Yeah, but yeah. It, the real story is interesting because he. Well, did you hear the joke that he made first? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, like, did, I did. Yeah, yeah he was like, um, you know, in my spare time, I make ends meet by playing air horn yeah. uh, in certain studio sessions. So yeah, that was like he's got a great sense of humor. He's really really smart. And we're gonna get to more Father John Misty talk for sure. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, he he tweeted like two different stories of what his collaboration or what his input was on was it actually hold up also yeah hold up yeah. He, he and one was yeah the really funny series of tweets about how he played air horn and like he was brought in to be this air horn player the other is that um someone who worked closely with beyonce had heard his music and they were interested in like his take because he'd written songs for other people and so they went to father john whose real name is joshua tillman um, former drummer of Fleet Foxes, and so they they went to him and uh, sent him the sample, uh, and he it was pretty sparse at the time. There wasn't a lot to it, and I guess they probably just wanted lyrics or whatever. Is what he said. Yeah. But what he ended up giving them was this fully fleshed out kind of like verse. Yeah. And I how how audible is it in the mix? Can you have you noticed it? Oh, he's not actually singing. I thought he said you could like hear it. No, I don't think he's actually singing. I think he actually wrote one of the verses that Beyonce sings. He did, but he sent back a recording, I thought. Oh, he did. Her. Oh, yeah, I think it was just him, like, singing the, the things he had written. Got I think you. that's all it was. Okay, because he said, I, I must have misread part of his, his tweet or part of his statement, because I thought part of what he said was he was like, you can hear it in between, like, the fire hydrant and the baseball bat part. I think he was just referring to, like, his lyrics. Got yeah, because when I read that, I was like, I thought he meant like you could hear his actual little recorded demo, no, and I was I like, "That's so. really interesting." I don't remember hearing that at so. all. No. Um, uh, another interesting one is Jack White showing up on the third song on the album, which is "Don't Hurt Yourself." Yep. So this one has like definitely this Beyonce's coming hard on this song, which yeah. is really cool. Jack White shows up, so. Also, this has a sample of when the levee breaks, the drum beat, which is. I could only vaguely pick up on it at the start. To be I don't honest think with it's you, that close. You mentioned to me that Levy was sampled on this album before I ever listened. I didn't like immediately pick it up at any point. I never noticed even on that song or on any. I would I actually forgot until you just mentioned it now. Yeah, I only vaguely picked it up where it was like a part of it. I was like, oh, that could be Levy, but it it's it wasn't totally clear to me. Uh, but I was gonna say, 
is Jack White, has he just become the de facto, like, we want some sort of, like, hard rock edge to this. We're going to bring Jack White into the cut. Maybe. I actually really like his contribution to this song, too. I think he sounds good. And the thing is, is if you're doing a Jack White feature on an album, I mean, I feel like he's going to bring it. He's going to do his thing. And, and he has that instantly recognizable voice um and it, it really does bring a, a different element to the track you're trying to lay down i mean i think beyonce probably knew what she wanted with that it's it was to me an interesting collaboration it could actually go now on that list of um tyler hurst friend of the pod big friend of the pod his mailbag question about unlikely collaborations and i guess you could say there are probably a lot on yeah. here but this one seems uh, you know that's in a, a high echelon of unlikely beyonce with jack <laughs> here's one that's incredibly it's become kind of a cliche is having a weekend feature oh, yeah. on your if, on your album if you release an r&b rap or any related genre in the last two years in, you've had a weekend feature abel is on there abel testfe abel testfe uh doing his his falsetto on oh yeah like he's doing uh, yeah, yeah he's doing, he's doing something about that i like his track too <laughs> i do too you know what else i like is this little james blake yeah. interlude yeah james blake's voice is really interesting it's super noticeable that like oh that's james blake yeah immediately even if he talks like this yeah, yeah, yeah. So i can't even do it i but. i wish he was he did some more talk about his brother and his sister <laughs> don't speak to him but they don't blame him <laughs> right. i wish he referenced that uh but the um it's interesting, we were talking about Kanye West being this, this curator of talent and stuff. Is I mean, this makes it seem like Beyonce's trying to do some of that. Yeah, She's pulling a lot sure. of people into the fold. Yeah. And are they being brainwashed by the Illuminati, Sean? That's the real uh, question. That is a guaranteed yes. I don't even think that's a question. Well, they're having chips implanted in them so they don't that remember the conversation. That I'm is sure. correct. Actually, she outwardly references the Illuminati on the last track. She's like, she's like, you. I think she's like, you're a bit corny with this Illuminati yeah. talk or whatever. That's exactly what they'd want you to think. That right, exactly. That well, is, that's the genius the, of it, Sean. No credence if you're in the illuminati you'd want people to think that it's silly that this exactly thing exists. genius uh kendrick also shows up here how did we not mention that uh well we just did freedom that's one of the, my my favorite tracks on this album i think it's one of the best she goes hard on this kendrick's verse is not the best i've ever heard by him it's at least yeah. good it's not yeah. immediately to me memorable in the way that a, the best kendrick verses i think his verse um his guest spot on no more parties in la is stronger um that on the kanye album yeah. but i i mean he his, he's another one where like you hear his voice, you're like, oh, Kendrick, instantly. Because yeah. he has that rasp and like yeah. that the way that only he delivers it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of interesting stuff on here. Yeah, so um, what what would you say is your favorite song? That's hard, and I... I, I have two. Put together... Two easy ones. Kind of a long list. The ones that I really think are up there for me are Sandcastles um, for the very passionate vocal delivery that Beyonce uses on the track. She like actually... For someone who's a pop superstar who usually her voice always seems like in check and perfectly produced and everything, she lets herself get a little bit, like her voice kind of overblow a little bit mm. at a point in this when she's singing. Mm -hmm. And um, and you hear like some her kind of recovering from singing that hard and that loud. Um, and then Freedom was up there for, for the fact that it features a Kendrick um, feature and it's also another really powerful, aggressive track from, from Bay. For for me, I, I like that just little bay thrown in at the from end. From bay, hey, you've um, been saying bay this whole I know. time. I say it with a, a with like a tinge of irony every time. Uh, my favorites are hold up because of like the backstory. I think that hook is awesome. All of the people that helped like create that song makes it really really interesting to me. Uh, and then all night, which is the penultimate song on on the album. Uh, this one is kind of like the. All right, we weathered the storm. We're gonna figure this out. Track. It's 
on the visual album, the Lemonade like movie, video, whatever you want to call it. Um, this is the one that has like home video clips of her and Jay-Z and, and Ivy all interspersed throughout. Um, that was one of the other ones that made my short list, which I realized as I typed it up was not just like a short half list. The album. It was a lot of the album, but the ones I highlighted as some of my favorites were Sandcastles, Freedom, Don't Hurt Yourself, Sorry, Six Inch, and All Night. <laughs> so, so like kind half, of a lot. half the album. So like, yeah, half the album, exactly. That's why I didn't say all of them. But All Night, I, I, that, I oh, what I'm trying to say is I agree with you. Yeah. All Night's up there. Uh, so overall, my th- I really like this album. I like it a lot more than I thought I would. So do I. I'm going to like keep listening to this and like probably revisit a lot of these tracks throughout the year as will i um i've been really enjoying it and i would actually recommend it to anyone who's liked any honestly of the rapper hip-hop stuff we've talked about on this podcast even if like you're not a beyonce fan i like we like we said earlier we had never really listened to a full album by her kind of thought she was overrated didn't really get it right i like i like this a lot so i would say if you have second thoughts if you were like "Eh, i'm not gonna listen to this because it's beyonce Go ahead and give it a listen. It's good, especially with all these collaborations. Like, if you like rock and you like Jack White at all, like, you'll you'll really like the song that he's on. So the next big thing we wanted to talk about um, on this episode was this murderer's row, Sean, of, of concerts, of live shows that you and I went to over this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, three concerts in three nights kind of just happened. Who Tell the people who we saw. There's, yeah, there's so, a lot of them. Yeah, Thursday night, we went to the Paradise in Boston. Uh, I got us lost walking there. Because we didn't go to the Paradise. We went to the Royale. And that's exactly why we got lost. That's why we got lost. Because I kept thinking, I'm like, oh, we're at the Paradise. We're at the Paradise. We're at the Paradise. Nope, we were at the Royale. So we started walking one way. And I was like, Jake, I'm so sorry. I've been leading us like a mile in the wrong direction. We need to turn around. Put my hand up. That's on me. And I'll That's say, on me. I'll say what I said then. It's all right. People make mistakes. It's not a big deal. Well, I feel bad because it ended up making us miss the first opener who we were really excited to see, who was Pine Grove, yep. who we've talked a lot about on previous episodes. It's okay, though. They're playing at UNH on May 6th. University Every- of New Hampshire for our international and out-of-New Hampshire listeners. That's right. Everyone in the area, go see them. Doing a little free pub for them. Free pub. Quick- That's publicity for, for people who don't know. And the quick plug for them is that their album, Cardinal, which was released in February, is one of both of our favorites of the entire year. That is correct. Still my album of the year right now. There you go. Uh, so we miss Pine Grove. However, we got to see the Sidekicks, who did a really nice job, a band I had never listened to before. And then we saw The World is a Beautiful Place, and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. And then the headliner was actually into it over it. What were your thoughts on this concert overall? I had a really good time. Uh, my favorite by far of the three we were able to see was The World is a Beautiful Place. Yep. Um, so for some context for, for this band, they kind of run in the scene of, of emo a little bit. They're part of that sort of revival. But something I realized and something that you voiced to me also after the show is that they really are kind of more like a prog band because they're up there and they have eight to nine members at all times. Just an army of guitars. Four guitars. Guitars, like each of them playing very specifically written parts. And um, they were really tight live. Their drummer is like a, a fucking jet engine. That yeah. dude can really play. And uh, and so it was just, it, that band is super interesting. And it made me, it gave me actually a whole new appreciation for the level of, of depth that goes into the songwriting because it, it really what they're doing is more like it, it almost feels like orchestrating 
more than it is like just writing a rock song because they don't go up there like like the sidekicks did for example and just do like a four-piece punk band thing um they're gonna play music that's really intricate with a lot of moving parts and a lot of different instrumental aspects what, did you, what about you uh yeah the world's a beautiful place was my favorite of these artists as well um i actually have to say that overall this concert was my least favorite that we went to over the weekend yeah um the sidekicks were good but you know like i said we had never really listened to them before so it's always harder to engage with uh, an artist who you aren't totally familiar with. They did do, I will say, a very good op- like set, even though I'd never heard them, and they did a really cool cover of Roadrunner. Um, oh, they that, also covered a Prince song at the end, too. Right, which was awesome. Yeah. Really good cover yeah. of that song. Um, yeah, so they did some standards and stuff, and, yep. like, and some classic songs. And then Into It Over It. Okay, this is a band who I like, who I've never fully... Emphasis kept... on like. Just like. I don't love. They're a band who I always want to enjoy more than I do and can't fully connect with. And it, it was the exact same thing at the show. There's just certain songs I'm like, oh, that sounds exactly like the one you played two songs ago. I agree. And I feel the same way about Intuit Over It, where I, you know, Standards came out this year. I really like that album. I do. I have no problem with this band, but it's, I'm in a similar position where. I want to like them more. I always, like, based on the hype they get, based on the fan base they have, I always expect, okay, this is the listen I'll have that'll really make me, that'll push me over the edge into loving this band. I thought maybe seeing them live would be similar because sometimes that'll happen. Happened this weekend where it made, I liked some bands even more. The World's a Beautiful Place is an example and another we're going to get to is another example. But, um, didn't happen with Into It Over It. I, I was, I guess, a little bored by the performance and look, I'm not here to, we're not here to trash this band i think they're by all by all accounts they're doing good stuff interesting stuff that's important to a lot of people that's important to say but i don't know for some reason it wasn't totally resonating with me and i think part of the reason is um vocally melodically it does feel like a lot of songs do sort of a similar thing yeah uh and i don't know how much is it evan weiss i think so no no evan something of this band, the lead singer. Uh, I don't even know. Whatever. It's he. I don't know how much he is a compelling songwriter to me from the perspective of like the melodies he's writing or whatever. Yeah, and then I don't know if we want to get into this. Some of the stage banter was like eye roll inducing. A little bit. So a little bit. It, it seemed Evan uh, Weiss. Actually, you were correct. It was Evan Weiss. Yeah. Um, good thing you don't trust me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, dude. Just, be, it's the sickness. Gotta be skeptical, through. yeah. Dude, this is, we're Can't be blamed. In, we're into the into the, the last bit of the show, so yeah. you yeah, I can imagine you're on, on your last leg. Uh so the the on Friday night we went back to Boston. Yep. Uh we ran it back again. This time we were at the House of Blues and we saw Father John Misty and then Tess and Dave opened. And Tess and Dave actually are members of Father John Misty's touring band, they which are. is really cool. That they were like we were watching Father John. And you're like, is that just Tess and Dave? Yeah. I was like, yeah, I think it is actually. Tess and Dave put on a cool <laughs> kind of. Uh, they were just up there. It seemed like they played their entire instrumental tracks to their songs just like on a computer or something because <laughs> yeah. they weren't really playing for a lot of it. They, yeah. Especially Tess, who was just dancing, dancing. around. Um, but like this a is another fucking hippie. This is an example of like with the sidekicks, except even more where like I'd never heard of them. Uh, had never listened to them at all. I don't think they're on Spotify. Um, it seems to me that Tess and Dave are just kind of like this like fever dream side project that they have where they're like, you know what? Like, can we just be your opener and go fuck around up there until you until Father John comes on? And he's probably like, yeah, sure. I agree. That's, that's what ex- it feels like. That's exactly what I thought. And that's why afterwards it made sense. Like, oh, that's why they're not on Spotify. <laughs> they're not really like an official <laughs> right. technically band. Dude, that song he was playing, 
it was just called like beers or something. Yeah, he was, and he's like, one beer, two beer, three beer, felt it on the fourth beer. Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. It was funny. And they had, but they had some really, I felt legitimately cool songs. Yeah, yeah they did. The main event, though, Sean, <sighs> left us both reeling. Father John Misty, I have to say, so based on his albums, Fear Fun and I Love You, Honey Bear, I, you know, and I had seen some live performances from late night shows. I was not prepared for the tour de force performance we got out of him. He is an astounding live performer. He is absolutely electric. He is a rock star in every sense of the word. This was one of the most enjoyable and fun concert going experiences I ever had. So we didn't even have like a great place to stand or see. We had, it didn't terrible. matter. Didn't matter. I remember both of us saying as we left, we're like, this was one of those rare shows where I, I didn't want it to end. Because most of the time, you know, you're there, you're uncomfortable, you're standing, it's loud. You're just like, I want to go home. It's like that Portlandia sketch yep. where, like, they talk all about how concerts aren't as great as you, like, want them to be. Yeah. And I turned to you during the show and I literally said, I was like, this is a rare instance where I, I am not thinking about it ending. Yep. Like, I'm really enjoying it. Father John, just the persona he takes on. First of all, he looks kind of like Jim Morrison up there. Yep. He's got this big beard, long black hair. He like he's a guy who's good looking and he knows it. He's up. He just saunters around. He dances. Yep. He acts out and gesticulates to the lyrics. Yep. Um, he engages with the fans. I was I was really won over. Not to mention that the sound was was almost pitch perfect. So to the here's record. yeah. Here's something that I want to say. A lot of times at concerts is what happens is the vocals and the lyrics get drowned out in the sound of all the other instruments. That was not the case with Father John. I think he understood. He's like, look, a big part of why my records are so great and why people like them are because they're relatable lyric-wise and people want to hear those. That was actually like one of the huge things for me during the show is everyone like singing along to these lyrics and they were they came through really, really clear and weren't washed out by all of the stuff behind him. And especially with the lyrics on Honey Bear, this concert just gave me even more appreciation for how smart these lyrics are. Yeah. This guy is like really on another level lyrically and he's talked in interviews about how he writes in a meta fashion and how he really can't write songs without thinking consciously about the fact that he's doing it that comes through but also he's just someone who seems so aware of all kinds of failings in in culture and society with america in general born in the usa is a, a scathing commentary yep. um and it, live it came through because he he brought a lot of passion yeah maybe even more than on the album yeah i would say definitely more. yeah i would think so too you know he's up there dancing and dancing and like gyrating and then like dropping to his knees and just like yeah rearing his head back and leaning like, into the crowd and giving high fives yeah. and getting like pulled on yep. from the back it was just i couldn't take my eyes off of him um i i, I think he's a like a he might be a genius actually it seems like he has some real insights into or at least can very effortless, effortlessly tear apart the social fabric of the country we yep. live in or the world yep. um, which to people like us is like we're all about that shit yeah i was real it's it's really cool to hear his perspective on these songs yeah. and i got to say before the concert and i think it was just ironic that i said this I we were looking for a place to to stand because of the House of Blues. It's standing room only, and if you're on one of the mezzanines like we were, there's not a lot of room. No. You kind of are looking. At, you're basically in a balcony, and it, there's a if you're in the middle mezzanine, there's not a lot of room to your top because you have a floor above you. So it's really close, and we're like looking for a place to stand. We finally found a couple small like windows between people's heads, 
and so we could see him. But I remember saying to you, Sean, I was like, well, you know, if I'm not going to fight for it this whole concert, I was like, I'm sure I'll get a look, I'll see what he looks like, and, and what the whole idea is, and then I'll just I'll quit trying. But as soon as I saw how magnetic he was on stage, I couldn't, I like had to continually bop around. We found, we found some decent I windows. I actually ended up not really having to struggle, and I could see. Yeah. There was a girl next to us who was probably like five foot one. I felt was, bad for I her. I felt really bad. She I couldn't see bad. at all. For reference, Sean is about 6'3", yeah. and, and I'm about six foot even. Yeah. So, so so we have an easier time than most at concerts, but still, this was a particularly bad... Uh, the House yeah. of Blues is a cool venue, but it was not... I mean, If you're one of those mezzanines, it's it's. I tough. think especially mezzanine number one, I think because yeah. the people on the floor above us, I think, had more headroom. I think they did, too. And so I think in that case, like, because we had to deal with not only looking through people... But if you were too far to a certain way, you would just see the, like right. the ceiling and the overhang. Yeah, I, to anyone who goes to the House of Blues in Boston or to any place that has, like, balconies, I would recommend just trying to get tickets to the floor. And, yeah. like, it'd be a lot better. Without a doubt. But the biggest takeaway for me was, if you're already a Father John Misty fan, go see him. And I actually, before I jump in, I also wanted to say, they did a cover of Closer... <laughs> By by Nine Inch Nails, which I thought was one of the best covers I've ever heard live. The the band, which features Tess and Dave, did a note for note borderline perfect cover of this song by Nine Inch Nails, and and uh, and uh, Father John's um, rendering of the lyrics, which is if you don't know, it's the famous Nine Inch Nails song where the lyrics are "I want to fuck you like an animal." Yeah. Um, he did a really impassioned performance. Yeah. I loved that. It was cover. so good. So everything about this show was amazing. Yeah. Uh, we get to see him again at Newport Folk Festival, I'm luckily, pumped. which I can't wait for. We'll be doing a podcast down there. We will. Yeah, we maybe will. a couple. Probably we'll, one. Yeah, you'll have some some Newport Folk Fest content coming your way. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say is if you don't listen to Father John already, get on it. Do it. Give it a shot. Do he's, it. Because he's really cool. Uh, and then the last show that we went to was on Saturday. This one was in Portsmouth, New Hampshire at the 3S Art Space. Big shout to the 3S Art Space. Big shout. Awesome. Bringing some culture to, to the Granite State. Yeah, awesome up-and-coming venue, getting some good acts. So we saw Phoebe Bridgers, who was opening uh, for Julian Baker, who has become kind of a, a critical indie rock darling over the past few months with the release of her album Sprained Ankle back in October. So the way I would describe this is it this is really like heart-wrenching and personal like singer-songwriter just one person with their guitar up there just like bearing their soul for the entire crowd this type of music really speaks to me and i've listened to julian baker's album sprained ankle more times than i can count um i loved this show i thought phoebe bridgers as an opener perfectly complimented what julian baker did i've gone back since and checked out her music it's awesome I, I loved everything about this. The crowd was so respectful and just, like, silent the entire time because it's the type of show that kind of lends itself to no one talking during this. I felt bad because during Phoebe Bridgers, there was a little bit of murmuring yeah. and some kind of loud drunk talking going on in the back, which I guess if you're an opener playing soft rock or soft confessional happen. folk, you're kind of used to yeah. that and probably is decent fodder for more depressing songs about, like... <laughs> like national style like playing to people who don't give a shit right. about you um so maybe that's more fuel to the to the phoebe fire i will say by the end of her opening set though i think she captured some of that respect and quiet that was there for julian she did and she was actually um pretty engaging as a stage presence even outside of her performing she seemed to 
I liked her story about how she and Julian before the show went and hung out in a cemetery with with like in these salt uh, what do you call it like salt, salt flats yeah salt flats and she was like like a couple of emo kids or whatever yeah, she said so I started following her on Instagram she actually posted a picture of them in the graveyard together and her caption was my chemical bromance <laughs> and, and, and so she was actually pretty engaging um, Julian Baker who I think would be someone who'd be awesome to have on the podcast so Julian if you're listening. Come on, come on and talk Open with us on the, on the listening podcast. Um, and if you're not, that's okay. You're in the overwhelming majority. Uh, but but she, uh, you know, you could really tell that that for her, performing is something where it, it takes a lot out of her. I feel. Yeah, there like in between songs when she was tuning her guitar to get ready for like the next song she was gonna play, um, you could definitely tell there was like a nervousness and an uncomfortableness with how people were just silently staring at her, and I felt bad. People are just, like, trying to be respectful and, like, give the music that she's performing the the respect it deserves yep. with the subject matter. But it was, like, no other show that I had been to where people were that just, like, engrossed and silent. And the, I, did, I did feel bad. The crowd was respectful, which I appreciated. And I think that if you're someone like Julian Baker where... I mean, you're singing songs like like Brittle Bone, for example, yeah. where she's talking about like I'm good at hurting myself, yeah, and like yeah. it seems like it's a hospital visit that's sort of the that was brought on by self and self harm or whatever. Um, when you're singing songs about subject matter that are really that personal, especially if it's not a put on at all, if you're really just opening your heart up and telling these stories, I mean, that kind of confessional songwriting is difficult to know people have even heard, let alone perform yeah. live for people. Yeah. And obviously it matters to her. So it's, you know, it's uh, it's great that she's doing it. And I don't, I'm not trying to say like, oh, she should have done this, she should have done that. Um, if anything, I think that it makes sense that you would be, like, it would seem very disingenuous, I think, for her to like, bounce right back from a song like that with like, all right, thanks guys, right. and here's another one right. from my first album. <laughs> <laughs> Rip into a new song. Right. You know I mean? It's not going to happen. So I think there was, there were moments of like, I think slight awkwardness, honestly, but that maybe is is par for the course yep. for a show like this, and maybe what is probably to be expected. Yeah, great show. How would you rank um, your favorites that we saw this collection so, over the past three days? So this is tough because I think, do we want to rank them in terms of just my, my each individual or the shows, the three uh, shows? Individual, I guess. Okay, Father John's number one. The world's a beautiful place is number two for me. Then Julian. Then I'm gonna go. Uh, I think Tess and Dave, then Phoebe, then the sidekicks, then into it over it. I just into it over it wasn't. I just wasn't yeah, feeling I it. Know. I was kind of we were tired making at that like point. pithy remarks about it, which maybe time. isn't fair. We might it have been a little fair. bit too. We were being know. cynical as fuck. We uh, my favorite: Father John Misty, Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, World Is a Beautiful Place, uh, Sidekicks, Tess and Dave, into it over it. Okay. Yeah, I um, I just and I I put Phoebe Bridgers even as an opener. I thought it was to me, it was <clears throat> more emotionally impactful and engaging. I was engrossed with her performance in a way that I wasn't with "World's a Beautiful Place," and I will blame the crowd and venue for that. Yep. Um, which you have to take that into account with. Well, they were throwing around balloons. Which, and balloons. I was it, I, okay. Sean was the only person in the audience. I'd say I wasn't really really bothered by this. Sean was by far the most bothered by these balloons I being tossed around. When there are beach balls or balloons being tapped around an audience, I'm not here to play fucking beach ball with you, okay? I'm here to watch you perform. Uh, and I said to Jake, I was like, 
fuck these balloons. Like, I want nothing to do with these. I was a second away from getting my hands on one and just popping them all. Dude, then you're that guy who sucks and everyone hates. Yeah, I know. Then you're I that know. guy, and I'm glad you didn't do it. Also, I had my closest uh, experience to a mosh pit ever, which gives me anxiety beyond any sort of, like, I, I can't even describe how anxious it makes Here's me. an interesting thing that I realized. Um, we, despite being enormous music fans... We're not the best concert goers. No, we're pretty bad at it, actually. And this, this was a real experience of, like, trial by fire, a lot of concerts in a row, a lot of different types of yeah, crowds in yeah. a row. Because you had the quiet, respectful 3S art space. I'm best at that one. Yeah, and then you had the Father John, which was pretty pretty much traditional rock the, crowd, yep, yep. Um, but a little more raucous. We had some drunk assholes talking behind us the whole the show. Whole time. Everyone like, hated that. It's them. like, dude, why go to the show? I know. Why come here like and spend however much money you did to see Father John and just talk over it? Then we had the raucous, younger, punk crowd, uh, an emo crowd. Which... You know, we're just dipping our foot into that scene. We are, I don't think we're like, we don't know what that scene's all about yet. That was like our first real experience with that. I've been to a couple punk shows from back in the day. I went and saw, who's that Florida band? Uh, I can't remember their name. It's some really big pop punk band. I went with my brother, big friend of the pod, Matt Deschutenier, and I went to that show and I experienced some of that mosh pit stuff firsthand. And yeah. my brother Matt will jump right in. Ugh. He likes some of that stuff. Oh, but here's the I can't thing. do it. Here's the thing. I can't either. I don't have the constitution. It's <laughs> it's uh it, it's just disquieting to me. But some people, Sean, go and think of the mosh pit as like a physical manifestation and expression of the aggression in the music, and it's just their way of experiencing it. Yeah. Some it, people love that. Which is fine. They can they can do it for me personally. I don't like it. Uh, I'm glad that we were far enough back where it didn't impact us. We were only buffered by about one person. I know. We had like a one-person buffer. I know. I was like, I really hope that this mosh pit doesn't like get too much more out of hand because it then, definitely grew. Then I will be impacted, and it looked pretty violent. Yeah, from what it did. I could see. It did. I was like, my, you know, I was like, if I'm in there, my glasses are gonna get knocked off. I'm gonna be unhappy. You see, you can't have that mentality with you're in a mosh pit, and I know you weren't trying to get involved, but no one in a mosh pit's worried about their glasses. <laughs> no one, dude. They've they've thought long in advance about about the glasses. I actually want to bring one more thing up that I almost forgot, and I'm so glad I remembered. So during the show. I was eavesdropping someone text because mm. I, I don't know that's kind of a crazy thing to do, but I did it. I watched this kid text somebody because I was interested, and there's no harm in it. He'll never see me again. So this younger guy was texting uh, somebody, and in his text he wrote, uh, "I'm wish you were here. I'm at a rock show," <laughs> and then the next quote was, "I don't know if you like rock." And so I, there were two thoughts. The first one, which is possibly likely, is that this was a joke and that his friend is a big rock fan and that and he was like, oh, I don't know if you actually like rock. It was a sarcastic joke. The second, which I think is a much more interesting interpretation, is that it's true that rock is receding from the popular culture. It's true that um, the pundits out there who are saying rock isn't important anymore, rock is dead, that there's some credence to that. And that we're actually a little out of touch because other people are like not that interested in rock, and now it's this fringe art form. Yeah, your take on this? Calling it a rock show is interesting. Sounds so like it sounds like something your your like grandparents would say. You're like, oh, you're going to the rock show? Huh? Yeah. Or or it sounds like somewhere where you'd fall in love with a girl, fell in love with the girl at the rock show. Yeah. Like, when like it just seems that's you. never a way I've described going to a concert. I call it a concert or a show. Yeah. Like that's it. I don't qualify it with anything else. Do you think? Or do we not have enough evidence to tie this to this cultural trend? Uh, I think it's another like interesting bit of of evidence that could that could be used to support that 
Yeah, yeah. I think it probably could. It was interesting, at least. Yeah. I mean, I almost, also, wanted to, I almost wanted to ask him. Well, here's a... I think it depends on how people describe rock, too, because we have so much different types of rock out there, and I think this Into It Over It World's a Beautiful Place show is very much in the sense of, like, this is traditional, like, rock music. However, like a Father John Misty show or, like, a Beach House show... Some people I don't think would actually describe that as rock, even though it is. It actually almost gives more credence to the other thing we've talked about, which is that the emo and the the punk scene has been the scene that's pushing rock forward and that people most associate with what rock is up to. Right. With what rock, in and out of quotes, is up to. Because when we shared our list of the the best rock albums of the 2010s so far, we shared it on Reddit underneath just the, the rock subreddit. People were like, this isn't rock. And we're like, no, it is. Well, they were like, Beach House isn't rock. Father John's not rock. And it's like, dude, first of all, we should have known that we were going to catch flack from hardos like you on the rock subreddit. Right. Second of all, who are you to classify what rock is? Like, dude, sorry this wasn't Dawkins. Like, and sorry Van Halen didn't make the list, man. Or like the the the, the chi- Chinese democracy. The new ACDC record, yeah, Black Ice, d- wasn't on there. Yeah, Black Ice didn't make the cut. But just because it's not like loud and aggressive and doesn't have shredding guitar solos doesn't make it not rock like the smiths are rock right that's some mellow ass music you yeah. too is rock yeah like why so, can't I, beach yeah. house be rock i think I, I think it's a bigger conversation about genre and how you classify this music yeah. which an interesting an interesting text eavesdrop that you had though i yeah it was it was a text drop also i have to say dude there's certain texts that you're sending that you never want people to see. We've talked about this before, just personally. Like if you, like if you are like talking to a girl and you're just doing like that flirty stuff Cutesy through text, stuff. you don't want anyone no, seeing that. No, I'm a close to the vest texter. I'm also someone who takes phone calls in another room. Yeah, I, I usually that. I don't like talking on the phone in front of other people too much. I'm very private about that. I try to be sneaky when I text. Yeah. Um, but this guy left it wide open for me to eavesdrop. <laughs> I do. I read his whole text conversation. I know the person he was texting. I'll keep her name out of it because uh, that's fair. He might be a listener. You never know. Maybe that's, that's right. why he he, that's right. he sort of shouldered up to us that's at the show. Right. <laughs> um, I think big shout to that kid. I think that's probably a great place to to end it. Um, like Jake said at the top of the show, if you could leave us a review or follow us, that would be huge, 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 huge. Please leave us a review. Follow us. On iTunes, on Stitcher, or on On Twitter. How about this, guys? How about this? Every single person who is listening, and if you've made it this far, like, we know you're, like, a serious listener. If every single one of you, just get us, just convince one person to just follow us on Twitter. How about that? Just be like, go follow this. Or in lieu of that, if you're not comfortable with the idea of Twitter or, like, you don't really do much in that realm, just recommend it, uh, our podcast, to, like, one person one who person. you know will be interested. Just one. Yeah, just say, like, hey, if you like music, maybe give this a listen. Yeah. We'd really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We know we can count on our legions of friends of the pod. That's right. Also, really quick, this was maybe an all-time low friend of the pod episode. We only had, like, two. We had two. It was my brother and, and who was the other one? We'll uh, find out. It was Tyler. Listen. It was Tyler. Tyler Hurst. Big right. friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod. Uh, so we'll them. be back next week. Uh, Jake, I, I think it might be high time that we do a full movies, music, best soundtracks, best best yep. music moments in movies. Episode. I agree. I think we got to get that going. Maybe that's so next week. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, if not, we'll do something else, but I think so. Cool. All right. And well, unless another surprise album gets dropped, you know. You never know. It could be another Beyonce or Kanye one. I know. Kanye might drop Life of Pablo all the way down to one track. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Down to one. So you never we know. We do have views from the six coming on Friday. That do we might actually have to do a breakdown of that. We'll figure this yeah. out. We'll hash this out. We'll, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Thanks everyone for listening. All right. See ya. sick sean's not feeling well under the weather which you already fight through it which you already know because you heard the beginning of the podcast where we probably will say that oh i'm gonna make a huge deal out of it yeah i'm gonna make such a big deal like woe is me and i'll ask you this uh, i'll save it for the episode okay um preem team we're still thinking up stuff for you we got stuff cooking yeah got stuff cooking um, we actually have a really good idea. We do have a really good should idea. We, should we say or should we wait? Should we should we wait. We should tension? wait till there's something okay. something there. Okay. Okay. Uh, but just know that like quality content is coming for those <laughs> of you who are who have been dedicated listeners and listen to the end. Hashtag content. Hashtag yeah. Hashtag content marketing. <laughs> I, um, buzzword city. Yeah. Hashtag uh, inbound marketing. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was um, trying to think of an anecdote to share i don't have one do you have any stories um, any jokes no a knock, knock joke no no just just striving for greatness over here just playing playing through the pain grit just a lot of grit yeah a lot of grit some self a little bit of self-indulgence there oh, wow. I, w- I would acknowledge that this has been a gritty performance but <laughs> yeah we'll see how it we'll goes see how in the the episode. Ba- okay yeah <laughs> you right. ready let's go i'm good all right three two one